Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather. Um, we thank you, Father, um, for your mercies, that they're new every morning. We thank you, Father, for your healing. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your word, that it is alive and active. Uh, we thank you, Father, that we live in a country where we are free to meet together. Uh, Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who don't live uh, in a country where it is free to meet, but Father, yet they do. So we pray for them, that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them. And Father, that your word would continue to go forth because we know that your word does not come back void. So Father, may we be able to focus and fix our eyes upon you and you alone. And Father, um, we just uh, thank you for the privilege. And uh, Father, we, uh, we thank you for whatever it is that you would have for us today, Father. May our hearts and our minds be open to you, Lord, and there, may there be no hindrances about. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat>
O God, may we set our gaze upon you. As you lavish your love upon us. Loving us yet though we were first still in rebellion towards you and your kingdom. You loved us. pursued us. You were pleased to reveal yourself to us through your son Jesus. And in that revelation, Father, we've humbled ourselves in receiving such great salvation, wholeness. Father, we thank you That in Christ we are freed. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness. That we may go forth fresh and anew. A rebirth has taken place in those who have accepted Christ. And now we are commissioned to go into the world to preach the gospel to be the light, to be your hands, to be your feet, to love as you love, to serve as you serve, to see the captives set free, that your kingdom would advance, and God, that you would receive all glory and honor. We look forward to your return, Lord. Yes. And you find us faithful, we pray, in Jesus' name. Psalm 34, verse 14. Turn from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. That is our scripture this year. And hopefully we are just not reading it, but we're actually daily throughout our day, moment by moment, giving thought to it, allowing it to become applicable in our lives, that we're not just reaching for evil things. We're just not looking upon evil things. We're just not speaking evil things and thinking evil things. No, we're recognizing we want to turn from the flesh and begin to walk as we're called to in the Spirit habitually. The Word of God says, if you walk habitually in the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And yet, though we will not live a perfect life on this earth, we're not perfected until we are with him, but we have been encouraged time and time again to continue to mature, to continue to grow up in our faith and our relationship with Christ. We've been given the Holy Spirit. He is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is our teacher. He empowers us to live righteously. So we're without excuse. We've heard before as the Bible tells us that he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. When we see this godly life in our own selves, we see such we're lacking so much. But yet when we really see it in the new birth with our new eyes, we recognize in and of ourselves we can't, but he can. And so we yield ourselves to him every moment of every day. That's where we're growing. That's where we're maturing to. So if you're finding yourself, you're not at that place yet, don't beat yourself up. Don't allow the enemy to come in and bring condemnation and shame and guilt and be burdened by it. 
No, that just shows you your ever-present need for your Savior. Draw closer to Him. Be, 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 be transparent to Him. He knows what still is needed within you to grow you and to mature you. So just as you came to Him, received Him, and the salvation that He gives us, this rest, restoration, this newness of life, don't lose sight of it. Because just as he loved you at that moment, he loves you at this moment. He'll love you at the next moment when you fell in. The, the, the purpose is not to stay down. The purpose is to get up. Walk in his love. Walk in his embrace. Walk in his righteousness. Not in your own. Walk in what he has accomplished for you through his cross. Through, through his death, through his resurrection, we have the hope that our Savior, the one in whom we call upon, has defeated sin and death. It's finished. He has cried out. It is finished. It's done. He's accomplished what he came to do. He has defeated the enemy. He has defeated the flesh. And he has defeated the world. So we're not embracing those things. We're embracing him. He's victorious, and we should see him as victorious, even in our moments of weakness. Amen. We don't focus on our weakness. We don't focus on our struggles. We don't focus on our sin. We don't focus on our circumstances. No, we look up. We set our gaze upon the one who has and, and, and will continue to be for us and not against us. Amen. He's called us out. And we are called to turn from evil and to do good. To search for peace and work to maintain it. A people of peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Peace. No matter what the storm is around us or what our circumstances are or what they possibly could be tomorrow. No, peace that sustains us through it all. And people can look and see there's a difference. What is it about you? And then it gives you this opportunity to share of Christ and his perfect peace that surpasses all understanding. It encourages others to look towards him. Like I've shared with you all before, we have nothing else to give people but Jesus. 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 The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The great I am. Amen. Let's go to Exodus chapter 4. That's where we're at this morning in our old walking through the Old Testament. Moses has been called. To return to Egypt and to lead God's people out. The call of Moses. We open this morning and we're going to see Moses wrestling, if you would, with his insecurities. And I love the fact that we can look at this and, and it's no different than us when, when God has called us to, to go. 
when God has called us to, to walk this out, we tend to look inward and see what we're lacking. And I love the fact that God addresses these insecurities with Moses as he does with us. I love the fact that what God has purposed, he's not going to allow our insecurities to thwart his plans. He will encourage you because ultimately it's not about you, it's about him. See, if as Christians we already grasp the understanding that this life in Christ is nothing that we can do. It's all Him. It's what He has accomplished. It's what He has purposed. We've laid our lives down, so there's no need to look at our lives and what we're lacking. Amen. Like we've laid our lives down and we're looking unto Him and saying, only through you. Yes. When's the last time you said that? Reminded yourself. It's only through Him that I can be a good steward. It's only through Him that I can serve faithfully. It's only through Him that I can love others. It's only through Him that I can forgive others. It's not about fixing yourself because you died to self. That's the good news. And so our insecurities should know, shouldn't plague us any longer. But yet, if you're finding yourself today wrestling with your insecurities, your lack of walking it out, your newness of life, and what God has called you to, turn to Him. Discuss it with Him. Because He wants to remind you, as we're going to see, He's reminding Moses, Moses, it's about me. I'll address that. I've got an answer for that, Moses. I've got an answer for this, Moses. Because it's me. You know, I've heard this portion of Scripture preached I don't know how many times, but numerous of times. And they always talk about the staff. Mm-hmm. And the question is, what do you have in your hands that God can use? And yet that's a good message. It's a good spin, if you would, of, of encouragement. But as I've been studying it this week, I realized, no, no, it's not about anything I have. Mm. Because that staff is God's staff. Not Moses's. And in fact, there's something that I don't know how many times I've read through this portion of scriptures before. We're going to see it called, and he took God's staff with him. Hmm. The scripture didn't say he took his staff. It's God's staff. And I've been reminded this week, it's not about what I have, because if I put my focus on anything I have, then it's me. But what I have, it's his. Mm-hmm. So as Christians, that's how we have to look at life. What we have is actually his. And so we have to be good stewards of what he has given. And we're going to see that's how God is shaping and molding Moses to be a good steward. To be faithful. To depend on God. I mean, that's incredible. This constant dependence upon God. Do we have it? Do you really see day in and day out your dependence upon God? Because that's what he's working in us. As he is perfecting us. 
as he's growing us, as he's maturing us, is a dependence upon him and him alone. And then we're going to shift at one point from looking at insecurities in our life and then to look at obedience. Because we're going to read a scripture that really gives us a, a, a humbling experience, if you would, of who God is. Moses disobeyed. And the scripture says that God was planning to kill Moses. And you go, but didn't God call Moses? Oh, yes. Didn't God address Moses' insecurities? Oh, yes. But God will not tolerate disobedience. Will not tolerate, because if he has called you as his own, then you are to reflect him and to obey him. Remember Jesus' words, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not obey? What did Moses do wrong? He didn't circumcise his son. And they're not quite sure why he didn't. They think it was his wife's influence and her culture. And that's why she kind of gets an attitude when she finally circumcises their son and spares Moses' life. But what an example. Like He's called to lead. He's called to, 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 to go forth and, and bring others out. He has to obey. It's not an option that we have. I'll obey while I'm sitting in church and all oh, that sounds great, but in my day-to-day life, I won't. No, that doesn't, that doesn't fly with God. I know we try to justify it that it would, but it never has, and you can look all through his word, and it never will. God doesn't take it lightly. He never has and he never will. Let that settle in. Let that settle in. The next time you go your way and willfully, continually disobey. Oh God, that we would remain humbled before him. He's a holy God. He's called us out. He's bringing us through. And one day he's going to return and gather us together. And oh, what a day that would be. But we got a loose gospel being preached today in this generation. A loose gospel. Come as you are and stay as you are. How sad. How we water down what he has done so that we can continue to feed our desires, our wants, our attitudes. And we can continue to to be unforgiving and bitter and full of hostility, full of perversion. 
going our way, and yet claiming his name. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. So that's what we're going to look at today through these scriptures. Chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to read through chapter 5 today, so both chapters. So here we go. But Moses protested. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. And then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it. And it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was healthy as the rest of his body. Then the Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh Lord, I am not very good with words. I never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord said to Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please, Send anyone else. And then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you and you as you, I'm sorry. I will be with both of you as you speak. And I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece. And you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take the shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. So Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they are still alive. Go in peace, Jethro replied. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, Return to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you have died. So Moses took his wife and sons, 
put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand, he carried the staff of God. So let's stop there. As I was saying earlier, God can address our insecurities. He's a big enough God. The call that's on your life as a Christian, and each one of us have a call. We're called to be his ambassadors, every single one of us. The Holy Spirit has gifted each one of us that sits in the church, that are true Christians. We are gifted to accomplish individually and corporately what God has called us to. Insecurities may rise up, but you have to realize where they come from. As I said earlier, they come from self. You're looking inward at what God has called you to. You will never be able, and again, just to repeat myself, you will never be ever, ever be able to bring about what God has purposed out of your flesh. You won't. So you get over yourself. Get over yourself. Stop making excuses. God wants to address them, and he will address them, because what is God doing? He's pointing Moses back to God. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I will do. This is how they will respond. It's not about what you have. It's about what God has already given you that God will use, because it all belongs to God. That shepherd's staff is God's staff. What you've been given, it's God's. You are to honor God. You are to allow God to use it as he sees fit to bring about what he's purposed you to, to do. Again, you didn't add anything to the point when you were saved. No, you willingly, you're, you, Christ was revealed to you and you humbled yourself and you realized your need for a savior. You accepted this free gift. And so you go forward day in and day out. Your dependence is upon God because you are a new creation. You're living totally afresh and anew. It's all Christ. And as I said earlier, it's like your dependence upon him. Are you dependent upon him? Are you seeking him? Remember, you're to walk habitually in the spirit, not gratify the desires of the flesh. This false gospel that's being perverted and, and being taught throughout this generation is enslaving people to remain in their flesh. And how sad. That's not what God has for his people. We must be careful. We must be diligent to seek him. The word of God says, if we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. He has loved us with an everlasting love and continue to love us. He, he, he is pleased to reveal himself to us. So he's a big enough God to deal with your insecurities to get you to what he has called you to do. He will answer your questions. In answering, he will continue to point you to him, to look at him, to see him. And as you continue to grow, as you continue to mature, you continue to be perfected, you'll continue to depend more and more on him. That's why we can't remain infants in the faith. We must grow. We must mature. If not, the Bible warns us we will fall back. We will fall back. And so we see here 
Moses' concerns and issues are being addressed. And I love the fact that God has everything already in place. God knew Moses' insecurities. God knew what he was going to say back to God. Because look, God already had Aaron on the way. And Moses didn't even know if his family was alive. And I love the fact, too, that he also tells Moses, he brings such comfort, those people who wanted to kill you are dead. Lest, Moses, you get up and start heading back and you start being overwhelmed or anxious about that. No, I've cleared the way. And that's what he says to us. I've cleared the way for you to go. For you to go. And so we must get our eyes of our, off of ourselves. Because remember, when you came to Christ, you died. You died to self. And so yourself shouldn't continue to consume you. No, Christ should consume you. This is the Christian faith. Anything apart from that is not Christ-like and it's not of God. It is a perverted gospel. So Moses carried the staff of God. And the Lord told Moses, verse 21, When you arrive back to Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart, so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I command you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. <clears throat> On the way to Egypt, out of place, oh, let me stop there before we hit verse 24. Let's talk about what we just read. So Moses is heading back. God has given him specific understanding. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. And I love the fact that even Paul had to address it to the New, to the New Testament church, if you would, to the church that has been birthed by the Holy Spirit after Christ ascended. Disciples were upstairs. The Holy Spirit fell. The church was birthed. They're now empowered with the Holy Spirit. And Paul is reminding them, and he's writing to the church, and he's telling them, who are you, mere mortal, to question God? God will create how and what and who he wants to create. And he will use what and who he wants to, to use. To bring about his purpose. Because ultimately it's about his glory. God knew Pharaoh's heart. And he knew exactly the purpose of Pharaoh. And some people wrestle with that. Some people question this. But as the church has already been addressed, so we are addressed today. Who are you, mere mortal, to question God? God is God. And he will bring about what he wants to bring about, how he wants to bring it about. And so he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And ultimately, hopefully you already know the end of this story. God's glory, God's miraculous, incredible power is displayed through the deliverance of his people. 
Let's not forget who led his people into slavery. It was God. See, so many times we want God to be how we want him to be. If we can just dumb him down for our ignorance, it's, it's better. <laughs> but when you truly get the fullness of who he is, and you get to know him and how he is, he's the same as he was then, as he is now, as, as he will be. He doesn't change. <clears throat> so as you see him for who he is, and you humbly position yourself low before him, And such great love envelops you and carries you through. Remember his purpose and his plan to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. That he is our Lord. He rules over us. Not as, 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 as a force rule. No. As one that we've seen such great love displayed that we submit to his lordship. And we go, yes, God. I want to live a life that honors you. I don't want to go the ways of the flesh any longer. I don't want to continue to go the way of evil just to satisfy this temporal hunger. That at the end of my life, that I will stand before you and not know you. How sad. Like really satisfying your urges. To do wrong, to do bad, feels good for the moment, but for goodness sakes, that moment is going to pass. That moment should not compare to eternity. And so as his people, we humble ourselves and we let him be God. We let him be God. And as I said earlier, we encouraging you to allow your insecurities to be made known to God, talk to him, about him. He already knows them. He's going to address them. He's going to point you to him. And now we're going to see where God wants. Now God is now going to say, I, I have an issue with Moses. I'm going to kill Moses. And you go, God, what, what happened? <laughs> you called Moses out. But remember what I encouraged you earlier. Disobedience is costly. God will not tolerate it. He never has. He never will. I know we like to dumb him down and make him a, a, you know, a warm, fuzzy God. Hugs and muffins. Oh, he just taps us on our heads. Oh, he just taps us and oh, it's okay. And we make him this weird guru. But as I said earlier, and as Jesus has said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I've asked? Why aren't you obeying? we got a lot of people who are calling the name of Jesus, but they're not following Jesus. And somehow they don't have a revelation of having that fear of God, that, that, that being remain humble, that, oh God, he's God, that the reality of really who he is. Moses was on his way to Egypt. In verse 24, on the way to Egypt at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. 
because he was disobedient, you all. Don't take it lightly. You put your hands to things, you put your mouth to things, you say things, you keep thinking things, you just keep going your way, and you are deliberately going your way. That's disobedience. I'm not talking about when you fall or when you fail or when you sin, that you feel the conviction, you get back up and you go. I'm talking about you willfully are disobedient to God. And yet, you're not humbled before him. You're prideful. You're arrogant. You're going your way. You're doing your life. It's about me, myself, and I, what I want. And I just want you to tag along with me, God. No, that's not Christianity. And if we can see it from the beginning of Scripture and we see it to the end of Scripture, there is nowhere in God's Word that He is comfortable with our disobedience. Nowhere. Nowhere in His Word will you find it. Nowhere. And yet, how is it today in our society, in our generation, and the generation's before us and the generations to come, that we can kind of dumb it down and pretend it's okay to disobey. And we can make all the excuses for it to willfully, willingly, continually disobey God. And say, God is is okay with it. Oh, because we have been dumbed down. The enemy has done a good job. But the enemy is defeated. And we are without excuse. If you are living a life of being disobedient unto God, may today the revelation of who God is be manifested so that you will humble yourself before him and repent and turn away from going your way. It says here, on the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. Moses, you all. (laughs) And I told you already before, what did he do wrong? What disobedience? What was he disobeying? His son wasn't circumcised. And they're quite not sure why. They think it was an influence of his wife and her culture. Oh, careful who you're in relationships with. Careful of those who aren't godly that you are uniting yourself to and how they influence your life. Careful. Because a believer and an unbeliever cannot go together. Never have, never will. Never will. Careful. Who is influencing your life careful of the relationships that you're forming. Careful how they influence you to go a different way. And I know it's comfortable in our generation to have a little bit of Jesus and to have a little bit of the world and have a little bit of the flesh. Oh, but Careful. You won't find it in Scripture anywhere. Disobedience is costly. It's costly. From the beginning to the end, you don't believe me? Read it for yourself. You won't find it anywhere where God would just pat you on your head and say, oh, it's okay. 
Oh no. Remember those who are going to stand before him? They think they saved. <laughs> they think they're Christians. And they finally stand before him and he says, depart from me. I don't know you. But didn't we do this and didn't we do that? And he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you sinner. I do not know you. Wow. Disobedience. It's costly. See, there is freedom in Christ, you all. And then you say, well, where's the hope in Christ? Because he's already delivered us. There's no need to keep going our way. See, if you're a Christian, you already recognize it. You've laid yourself down. You say, God, my dependence is upon you day in and day out. And you go your way. And if you stumble and if you fall, you get right back up. Because if you love me, then you love me now. You'll love me there. And you just keep growing. You just keep maturing. You keep impacting those around you with the truth of who Christ is. And it's not my life. It's his. I'm not pointing you to me. I'm pointing you to him. The hope. The hope. So no, you don't live in constant fear of God. No, because you are freed in Christ because Christ paid the penalty. But if you're trampling his blood underneath your feet as if it's nothing, as if it's just common and you're just splashing it up on people, oh my God! The world, the word tells us, don't be afraid of those mere mortals, basically, who can harm your body. No, the one you should fear, the Bible says, is the one that can destroy your body, but not just destroy your body, but send you to hell. Oh, we don't want to talk like that. We don't want to see him as that. Well, how else are you seeing him? Picking and choosing the little bubblegum scriptures that feel good for you? And for your family? No, disobedience. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. We don't know for sure why he didn't circumcise his son. But if he's going to be the deliverer and lead God's people out, he has to follow God's commands. He has to follow what God has established. Because could you imagine the people will look upon the leader and say, well, Moses is not doing it, we're not doing it. And then you got a whole mess of people who are disobeying. Oh, but unless you just think of leaders, look at your life. You're a Christian. At least all of you that are sitting here have professed to know Christ. You're leading others. And if you're not following Christ, if you're not following him, oh, God help you. God help me. Because others are seeing it. And they're like, it doesn't matter then. He does it, she does it. They haven't done this, they haven't done that. No, all of a sudden. See, either you're leading people to Jesus or you're leading them away from him. But God will not take it lightly. You're not going to stand in front of him and have all of your excuses that you say to yourself now. Oh no, you're going to stand before a holy God and give an account for everything you've done. 
The Bible says you're going to give account for every idle word you speak. And yet we have an opportunity now to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our body, with all of our strength. We are liberated. We can live a freed people. Not again, oh, God's going to strike me down. No, we are freed and we know that Christ has already paid our punishment and now we are at peace with God. That is the most incredible scripture when you read Romans 5.1. Now, therefore, you're at peace with God through Christ Jesus, your Lord. Not through anything you've done, but all that he has done. And so you can live a life of peace. You don't have to be afraid. Oh, God, he's going to get me. No, he loves you with an everlasting love, and he's already made the provision for you to be at peace with him, that you're not no longer a child of his wrath, but a child of his love. You've been adopted. You've been brought in. You have been given the right to call him Abba, to call him Daddy. And so, wow, what a life to live you all. Oh, what a glorious life to live on this earth. No longer doing evil, but doing what is right. Maintaining peace, no matter what your circumstances are. No matter what the influence of the culture is around you. You're just going through because you're looking onward until the day of his return. And in that day, what a glorious day. That he will look upon you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. Enter in into my rest for all eternity, you all. And we want to trade that. <laughs> because we want to pursue the flesh and the world. We want the world and the culture to define us. And yet, what you're uniting yourself with is actually, actually mocking you. Mm-hmm. And there's demonic spirits yes. that are influencing it. For your destruction. So laugh along. <laughs> because torment for eternity is what's ahead. Laugh along. Oh, but I've got to do this now. You don't know. I've got to do whatever. Say whatever. Make whatever excuses you need to justify your disobedience. But you're willfully choosing, purposefully putting your hand towards God and saying, you're not my God. Oh, you can call his name while you want. You can pray, you can worship, you can do whatever. You can have a form of religion. The devil don't mind that. Oh, but God does. God confronted him to kill him. But Moses' wife Sipporah took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. And she did it with an attitude, you all. She did it with an attitude. But it was done was done. Moses' son is now circumcised. Obedience, you all. Obedience. I want you to really think upon that this week. 
Think upon your insecurities. Let God address them. Let God grow you. Let God continually to be faithful at what he has begun. He is faithful to complete. So let's go through that. Let God work within us to make us more dependent upon him. But oh, if you have disobedience in your life, if you're not living upright, but you're living crooked in this world, God help you. So allow the Holy Spirit bring conviction. Allow conviction to lead you to repentance. Humble yourself before a mighty God and say the God of all creation desires intimacy with me? That God you all. The one who spoke and brought forth the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, Yahweh, desires you to be with him. And not because you can do anything, but all because of him. And he has planned you and he has purposed you. He has formed you. He has prepared good works for you to do. And they can't be done in your flesh. They can't be done in your own strength. They can only be done in Christ. Do you trust Him with your life? Are you still willing going? Are you still willfully going your way? Trusting yourself or trust, trusting others to bring about your purpose? Only God can bring about what you were truly designed for. Now the Lord has said to Aaron, Go out into the wilderness to meet Moses. So Aaron went and met Moses at the mountain of God, and he embraced him. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say, and he told him about the miraculous sign the Lord had commanded him to perform. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the, the miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord has sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Think about that. These people had been enslaved. These people had endured. Time and time and time and years and years and years of harsh treatment. And did you see this scripture, the comfort? Hopefully it's of comfort to you. Verse 31, then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord has sent Moses and Aaron when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery. They bowed down and worshiped. Let it be for us today as we recognize and we understand that Jesus was sent to deliver us from such great oppression to know that our God is concerned about us and has seen our misery, has seen our lives. And yet he bids us to come and just as they did, so may it be with us that we bow down and worship him. That we respond with such great humility 
after this presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went to, I'm sorry, went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, look at this, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so? retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? What should, why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Is that so? I'm sorry. Verse 3. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with a sword. And Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their task? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. You see, Pharaoh thought he was God. And I love the fact that Moses and Aaron is, 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 is revealing really who God is. He's the God of Israel. He's the God of the Hebrews. Remember, God set aside this, this, these people for his own in this time, in this day, in this age. At that moment in time, God now has his people on the earth, Christians, who have been delivered, who are Christ followers, to do the work, and the service of God upon this earth. The world will always question, who is your God? Who do you think you are? Who are you to question what I do? Who are you to say life should, I should be living differently or going a different way? And even Pharaoh saw the oppression of the people. And when he saw a glimmer of hope that these people were having, you know, they stopped what they were doing and they were looking for hope. They were looking for that deliverer. And Pharaoh told them, why are you distracting them? Stop this. And there will always be resistance towards your life as a Christian. But you must be persistent in what God has called you to. There will always be resistance, but you don't give up. And this culture and this day and age, that would be of us as it was before us and will be after us, that the church will be persistent, that the enemy has already been conquered, that we will continue to move forward declaring what God has spoken. The same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers, and the Israelite foremen, do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get, the, get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they are crying out. Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. It's no different than the enemy. He burdens us. Why do you think I always say, why do you think it's so hard to do right, but yet so easy to do wrong? 
Have you ever started out your Christian walk and you feel like you just walked into a wall and nothing's working out and you're so consumed with desires and everything else within you? Oh, don't think that your Christian life is just going to be this incredible breakthrough where everything is, you know, clouds and heavenly music and, you know, everything's perfect and peaceful. Oh, no. Not in this world. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but be a good cheer. I've already overcame the world. The enemy will have nothing more than to continue to burden you. Sometimes things get worse before there's even a slight bit of a breakthrough. And yet, a lot of the gospel, perverted gospel that we're hearing today is giving us hope in this world of achieving things in this world and having all the world we want and yet continue to live in and of ourselves thinking somehow we're pleasing to God. Careful. Careful. The enemy wants to burden you. The enemy wants to keep you down. The enemy wants to, 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 to close off your ears and, and blind your eyes, as the Bible says he does, to unbelievers. He wants you oppressed. He wants to keep you from what your true inheritance is in Christ. And so Pharaoh is foreshadowing, if you would, the enemy of God's people and how he moves and how he works and how he's burdening them. So the slave drivers, verse 10, and four men went out and told the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not provide any more straw for you. Go and get it yourselves. Find it wherever you can. But you must produce just as many bricks as before. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt in search of stubble and to use a straw. Meanwhile, the Egyptian slave drivers continue to push hard. Meet your daily quota of bricks, just as you did when we provided you with straw. They demanded. Then they whipped the Israelite foremen they had put in charge of the work crews. Why haven't you met your quota either yesterday or today, they demanded. So the Israelite foremen went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him. Do you see their mistake? They went to Pharaoh. All right, let's not forget, we just read a little bit ago that they knew that God cared for them. That they humbled themselves and they worshipped. And now we find them looking to Pharaoh. We're no different. God moves among us. Ooh, we get excited and, oh God, yes, and then the next day, life is hard. And we look to others. We look to the world. We look to, 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 to whatever to, to lighten our load. God help us. Don't look to Pharaoh, you all. Don't look to be satisfied by the people, the things, or your desires in this world. Because remember, these aren't just words, you all. This is life. 
Remember, as a Christian, how you're to be living. You have nailed your passions to his cross. And so the world has no influence over you, and you don't desire the things of the world anymore. Either he's God or he's not. The problem with the church today, and the issue we're not addressing sin in the church today, is because we haven't gained the, the, the credible understanding of that picture of us nailing our desires and passions to his cross. See, when you come to Jesus, and you've accepted him, die to yourself daily. Because that's where your old self is at. You've been liberated. You can live differently now. As I said in the beginning, you can walk habitually in the spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why on God's earth are we preaching a gospel in God's church among God's people that Christ did not accomplish what he came to do? For goodness sakes, he says, I have conquered sin and death. They no longer master you. They're no longer your pharaohs. Oh, no, no. He didn't. He's just my struggles. And we make him out to be a liar by the way we live. What's going on? Either he accomplished what he came to do, that he could take a perverted man a disgusting, unforgiving, junk life of a man and say, now, live this way. How he can move in each of your lives and deliver you from all your insecurities, all your desires, all of your excuses, all of your pains, all of your woundings, everything. And he can say, no longer. You're no longer that way. In me, you're whole. You're healed. That little escapade that you want to do, it's not going to satisfy you. Only I can you want to run amok? Oh, no, no, no. It will never satisfy you. Only I can. Come on, you all. Stop going to Pharaoh. Stop allowing what's been defeated to master you. It may have been a totally different outcome if they did not go to Pharaoh and they went to God. But they didn't. They went to Pharaoh. They were whipped, they were beaten, they were pressed in, they were hard and hard. I mean, the, the, the work was even harder. So the Israelite foreman went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him. Please, don't take, treat your servants like this. They begged. <laughs> we are given no straw, but the slave drivers still demand, make bricks. We're being beaten, but it isn't our fault. Your own people are to blame. But Pharaoh shouted, you're just lazy, lazy. That's why you're saying, let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still produce the full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen could see that they were in serious trouble. 
when they were told, you must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. As they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron, who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, may the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into the hands and excuse, I'm sorry, an excuse to kill us. And that's where we're ending today, verse 21. How angry they've become to the very one who God sent to deliver them. they responded. Look what you've done. And now, look at our lives. Oh, I've been there myself. Years ago, newness in Christ, angry with God. I didn't ask for you, God. You did this to my life. You've made my life worse. I'll show you. I'll go do what I want to do. And I went and did what I wanted to do. And God asked of me the next day, did you find what you were looking for? And I was so broken because I've never had been so dark before. The things I did throughout that night are filth. See, the only thing you know to do and to go back to is your old way. And your old way before Christ only knows how to die. It'll lead you. And lead you and consume you and lord over you and master you. But why? Would you want to be mastered by what Christ has already defeated? That's why you submit your lives to Christ, you all. Find hope in Him this day. Find hope in Him throughout this week. Turn from evil and do what is right. You may have to break off some relationships. You may have to stop going where you've been going. You may have to stop doing what you're doing. Do it. Whatever it is, obey. Stop making excuses. Obey. And yes, it's going to may feel like your gut is being wrenched. It's going to feel painful and it's going to hurt. And people may not understand what is happening in your life. But it doesn't matter. Keep going. Don't return to Pharaoh. Don't blame God. Don't blame the messenger. Oh, get up and go the way of the Lord. Saying, God, no matter what comes my way, God, I'm going to serve you. I will not let Pharaoh master me, no matter how hard life may come. For many years, I wasted many years of my life allowing Pharaoh to master me as a Christian. And nothing good came from it. Holding a form of religion, nothing good will come from it. Walking in disobedience, 
and nothing good will come from it. Let God be God, you all. Let Him rule and reign. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 22 today. Matthew 18, verse 1 through 22. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. Then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes, I'm sorry, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusted me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus, you all. Lest we keep wanting him to be this pansy guy. No, he's very direct. He's talking about his kingdom. How you ought to be living as a child, carefree, trusting. One of my favorite pictures is when, you know, you put your hand out to a little infant, a little child. And usually their response is, go grab it. That's this picture of what Christ does with us. And you just trust him. Wherever you want to lead me, Daddy. And a lot of a lot of us, a lot of people in this generation never experience the love of an earthly father. So they find it very hard to have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. But the Bible tells us and encourages us that God is the Father to the fatherless. He desires for you to be carefree, if you would. Not heavy burdened and, and, and consumed with life as adults become, but just free. Free to trust. Free to have faith. You know? You see these fathers, a picture of them, and, you know, they take their children, they throw their child up in the air, and they grab them, and the child, the kids are laughing. It's the best thing in the world. They trust. So I love when I see fathers interacting with their children. Building this rapport and and this relationship with their children. Because it's a picture of God with us. Like we're just to come. Carefree to him. Like Abba. Remember, you've been engrafted. You've been adopted into his family. He's giving you the right to call him daddy. Like such intimacy. Daddy, Abba. Do you love him, you all? Like that? Is your relationship with God like that? Because it ought to be. And then look what Jesus says. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be thrown, I'm sorry, and be drowned 
and the depths of the sea. He doesn't take it lightly when his children are influenced to not trust him. Careful again how you're leading people. I'm not a leader. No, you're, if you're a Christian, you are. No matter what your age is. Careful. And then he goes on. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. Think about that. You see, sin, temptation is not sin. You will be tempted. But turn from evil and do good. There will always be something presented to you to go your way or to satisfy you. That's not the sin. The sin is, is when you give in to it. In and of yourself, you will give in to it. But in Christ, you won't. You will turn from it. You will say no. You will humble yourself before God. You will resist the enemy and he will flee. And then the other good news is when scripture says he, Christ, makes a way out of every temptation. So we are without excuse. So if you're finding yourself sinning, it's because you chose to. Nothing overtook you. The enemy can't make you sin. You choose. He comes before you. He presents it to you. And then you choose to say, yes, I'll take that instead of what Christ has for me. God help us. And God help us if we're the ones causing others to stumble and tempting others to go in the opposite direction of God. God help us. Listen to what Jesus is saying. So then he goes on. So, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life only with one hand or one foot than to throw, or th- I'm sorry, than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gorge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. Jesus' words, you all. (laughs) Be aware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Mm -hmm. Now Jesus is using these visual words not as what you actually should do, but to take it seriously. Stop sinning. Stop going your way. Stop doing what you're doing. Take it serious. Sever off, not your physical body parts, but sever off whatever it is that you have within your life that's causing you to go your way and not his. And in that severing, it can't be done in your flesh. The true conquering of the sin nature is only found in Christ because there's a lot of quote-unquote good people who have stopped doing this and stopped doing that and stopped doing this and living this way now and going this way now, but they're not Christians. 
the Bible's very clear. If man gives thought to something, man can accomplish it. So we're not talking about just good morals while we're on this earth. No, we're talking what Jesus is constantly reminding us in the scripture, eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. This hope that we have in Christ. Jesus himself is speaking. Either way. Eternal life with him or hell. Stop sinning. Stop going your way. Be aggressive with sin that's in your life. Repent, turn, get away from it, run from it, flee from it. And run to Jesus, you all. You're my hope, you're my salvation. You're my shield, you're my strength. You make, you make every way out of temptation, God. I'm humbling myself before you because the word of God says if I submit myself to you, then resist the enemy, he has to flee. That temptation may set in for an hour, for a day, for weeks, but you still keep clinging to Christ. You still honor Him. And it'll flee. Remember, He's given us the weapons of our warfare to demolish strongholds. Those strongholds are formed because we give the enemy a foothold. Give the enemy just a little foothold and he will develop a stronghold. And the strongholds are patterns of thought that you believe that are contrary to God's truth. And they define you. That's where you find your identity. The enemy has come in. You've given him the right to take hold. He just doesn't come in and and, and do it himself. No, he has to have you give him the right. And so you give him the right. And these thoughts begin to form and you begin to trust in those instead of trusting in him. But praise be to God. The word of God says he's given us our weapons of our warfare to demolish strongholds. To get up and be free. Wow. All because of Christ. That's why you must grow. That's why you must mature. That's why you must be in his word. You must be in fellowship with Christ and with the church. You must grow so that you will live this life of abundance. So through verse 22, at verse 12 we're at, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what would he do? Won't he lead the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is, is, it is not my heavenly Father's will, I'm sorry, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. What comfort we can find in that portion of Scripture. God pursues us, you all. God pursues us. And look what it says here. And when he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it. Such a beautiful picture. Such a beautiful picture. It is not God's will that any should perish. That's 
that's why you you know God ultimately is a just God. He knows the heart of men and women. He's a just God. And his desire is that none should perish, but that all would come to him. But yet he knows not all will, because Jesus himself said that the path unto him, unto righteousness, is very narrow. Not many are going to find it. And yet the road to hell is quite wide. How sad. Because mankind has been given the opportunity to know God. Mankind. And yet they refuse God. But yet God will pursue them. It's a beautiful picture. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, (coughs) take your case to the church. Then... If he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. This is important. This is instructions to the church, to God's people. We're already reading through this chapter on the concern that Jesus has about sin. Remember, Jesus... His desire is that his people will be in unity. That we will be in unity. How will they know that we belong to him by our love for one another? Not our love for the world. No, our love for one another among us. Among us. People will see a difference. His desire is that we will remain in unity with God. In fellowship with, with God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. With the church. That we, the God would raise up a standard among us. And that we have accountability. No, we don't judge the world. The world already stands judged. But what we do among the church is that we do judge each other. Because we're to hold each other accountable. Accountability is not, is not destroying someone's life. Accountability is to build it up. Turn them back to Jesus. Hold each other accountable. Keep pursuing Jesus. And so he says here, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, he has won that person back. You see, it's all about reconciliation. Even when Paul had to address the issue, the sexual issue, perversion that was running him up in the church, and he says, throw that man out of your church in hopes that his soul will be saved. Don't you dare keep him among you because then he's going to grow comfortable as if it's not a problem for him to keep sinning and doing what he wants to do. And oh, that's the church's problem today is we're allowing people just to keep doing what they want to do and believing that they're Christians. Yes, we want the lost to come in and hear the word of God. And they can sit and they can come as long as they want. 
But if people start professing that they're Christians and they're not, we've got to be quick to say, no, wait a minute. Because if they're, they're professing that they're Christians and they're not, the lost who are coming in to hear the word of God will get distracted from what the truth is to seeing the lives being lived and go, well, uh, something's contrary here. I'll just go the way they're going because it's easier. <coughs> God help us. It's all about reconciliation. First to Christ before it is to us. Your desire is to see other people in Christ. So he says, go to that person. If that person listens and confesses, they won them back. But if you are unsuccessful, then take one or two others with you and go back to that person. That's how you deal with these relations in the church, you all. That's how we deal with it. Someone sins against you. And someone has offended you. You go. Get it worked out. Get it resolved. If it doesn't, when you go, then take others with you. And then if it doesn't go happen then, well then bring it to the church. So then the church at large then is involved. Because again, we want to be a people who are united, who are reconciled to God and then to each other. We purpose in our hearts to live this way. And then it says, even at that point, it is not resolved, then treat that person like a heathen. Think about that. Like a pagan or a tax collector. Cut them off. Set them aside. And hopes you all that they will return. This is how serious Christ takes it. Oh, that the church would awaken. The church has tried this throughout the centuries and we've messed it up because we wound people. And so they're so hardened that they don't want to return. That's why when you bring correction to others' others' lives within the church, so you have to have relationships with them so they know from the heart in which you're speaking. They may, they may not receive it or whatever, but you still go. You humble yourself before them. You work this out as Jesus has assigned it to be. And then you have to entrust that individual. If they're refusing to repent, to turn from their sin, you have to entrust them with the care of God. Just as you would with the pagan and the tax collectors. Just as you would with the lost. You entrust their care to God. You don't bash them. You don't talk bad about them. You don't carry on craziness. Because then you're just as divisive. And you're just as wounded as they are. So care for how you're living among Christians. I tell you the truth. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask my Father in heaven, we'll do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Ask you all, seek you all, knock you all. It will be given. Trust in God. Seek Him. And you're asking, you're seeking, and you're knocking. It's not to benefit you. It's to benefit Him, His kingdom. He's a God that will supply all your needs according to His riches and in His glory.
He will take care of those who belong to him. Trust in the fact that your father will provide and take care for you. Amen. Your daily needs. If he wants you to have a big house and a big car and lots of money, it's, it's his. And so you utilize it for his kingdom and for his glory. If he gifts you with certain talents and gifts, it is ultimately to, to point others to him. Just be a good steward, rather you have little or you have a lot. Just be a good steward. Honor him in all you do. He is among us. He is within us, and he is among us. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times. So, I'm mean, sorry, seven times? No, Jesus says. Not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. So basically, continually. Like, there's no limit, Peter. Keep forgiving. And know how we need to hear that today. People are going to do you wrong. Rather, in the church or out of the church. But we have to be a people. Who are quick to forgive. Quick to forgive. Because you let unforgiveness in. You harbor unforgiveness and bitterness. And your life will spin out of control. You have to be quick. As the Father forgave you, so forgive others. That's why I've always heard me say, what you receive, you freely give. As he has loved, you love. As he is forgiving you, you forgive others. You live a different life now. You are a servant of the Most High God. You ought to know His ways, because that's how you're to live. Like Christ. Honoring Him. Trusting in Him. Let's go to Psalm chapter 22. I'll wrap up that chapter, 19 through 21, verses 19 through 31. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Psalm again was authored by David, King David. And it's a psalm that is prophetic to Christians. It's not really prophetic to, to Jews because they see it as it was written as of David writing it. But as Christians, as, as especially the first part of the psalm, these are words that Jesus cried out from the cross. It gives a picture of what happened to Jesus at the, at the point of his um, crucifixion. But the psalm, and not only does it give us a benefit of seeing that as Christians, as a prophetic psalm, but it also gives us an understanding of how are we to respond when we are faced with such agony, such defeat. And we saw the first part of the psalm, as we'll see in this latter part of the psalm, that yet though we can see what is and, and speak what is happening to us, he comes right back around and declares the goodness of God. And the things of God. And that's how we get through times, you all, where our seasons and our life just seems to be such agony. Trials and tribulations. Being pressed in on all sides. Not understanding what's going on. That yet though we cry out from the very depths of our being, God. And yet though from the, in the very breath we go, but God, you've done this before and surely you'll do it again. As you've taken care of me before, I know you're taking care of me now. 
That's how, again, this picture of dependency upon God. And so we pick up here today in verse 19. O Lord, do not stay far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will be will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules over, I'm sorry, he rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him, all who are mortal, and all whose lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. Praise God, you all. The beauty that we get from this psalm, the awesomeness of our God. And do you see how it's passed down to generations, to generations, the goodness of God, the care of God? Do you not see how the enemy is working in our generation to destroy families, to where the youth are not hearing of God any longer? They have a warped image of who God is. They're going about how they want to go about, not fearing God, so confused on life, burdened down at such a young age, carrying such great responsibility, or not even having any responsibility at all, not, not, not having a lack of care in their lives and no respect for authority. We have just turned them over to themselves and to the enemy. And yet what we ought to be doing is promoting the things of God. Talking about the things of God. Pointing them to Jesus. Allowing them to see God's work manifested in our lives. This is how I once went. This is how I go now. And trusting their care to God. Like God, you've given me these children. I want to be a good parent. And if you've messed up, and God knows I have as a parent, if you mess up, just confess it to God and to your children. Ask for forgiveness and get up and say, as of this day, we're going towards God. Because God is revealing himself to us. And he's a good God. And he's a God who will care and he's a God who will intervene in our lives. But they will never know God if all we're giving them is this false interpretation of who God is and how we're to live for him. God help us. God help us to return to this. 
that God's righteous deeds will be made known among our children and to their children and then to their children. And the generations that will come, the strongholds will be broken off and that they will live liberated lives, fulfilling the call of God on their lives. Jesus, help us, you all. Help us. The norm should not be the disobedient youth. The norm should be the Christian youth. That God would set a blaze and a fire of this upcoming generation for Him. They're so wounded. They're so lost. They're so desperate for a Savior. We ought to be praying for them and interceding for them and serving them and loving them and encouraging them to know Christ. To know Christ. To see Him in the fullness of of who he is. Let's close in Proverbs chapter 5. The Bible has a lot to talk about sex. Speaking of the youth, if you really want to do a, a, a true sexual um, class, teaching sex ed should be done from the Bible. <coughs> Not done through man's ways. Remember, everything God has created, man perverts. The enemy perverts it to bring about destruction. If he can keep us from what God has purposed, it'll destroy our lives. And as it is with sex, and since sex is a huge topic nowadays, in our generation, everywhere you look, I was thinking of this the other day because I was reading this devotional, Look at magazines. Look at television commercials. Do you see magazines or television commercials promoting a Christian life? The way of Christ, the purity of life, how to remain pure, how to honor God with your bodies? No. Look what's selling out there. Sex. And then the question of sex itself. Well, if I want to have sex with a man, I can have sex with a man. If I want to have sex with a dog, I can have sex with a dog. If I want to do whatever I want to do with my own body, it's my right. And forget it, I can also believe that I'm not a man. I can believe that I'm not sex, you know, a sexual identity at all. I'm just whatever they call it, asexual. And so then I have no identity. be gay, I can be bi, I can be asexual, I can just do whatever I want. And it doesn't matter. Ha ha ha. And then people are being led astray. And then there's sex out of marriage. Things are just going and going and going and going the ways of the flesh. And time and time and time we see the destruction. Because man is choosing to go their way. But God has established sex. He created it for man and for woman. It's a perfect fit. Just alone, the anatomy of the body structure. It's a perfect fit. But he designed it for marriage. For marriage. And we've been reading through this proverb how the young man is being reminded, do not go the way of the immoral woman. Don't go the way of the loose woman. Careful. 
In the end, she will destroy you. She will destroy you. And you will reap what you have sown to. But God has designed sex between a married couple for them to enjoy it. God desires that we enjoy what he has purposed. And listen to how it ends here. Proverbs 5, chapter 15 through 23. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets having sex with just anyone? God's word, you all. Only give yourself to your wife. Do not go out and just have sex with just anyone. Nothing good comes from it. Oh, but it feels good. Yes, but the way it was designed, you're not, you're not using it correctly. You're not using it correctly. It may feel good. Sex feels good. With whoever you want it to be with, it'll feel good. You can have it with yourself. It'll feel good. But it doesn't make it right. Just because something feels good doesn't make it right. The enemy perverts what God has established. What God has established. And look what God says here. He goes on, You should reserve it for yourselves, not share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. This is found in God's word. He knows how he has designed us, man and woman. He knows how it works. No matter what the generation, how they want to rewrite marriage and rewrite sex, you can't change what God has purposed. And listen to him. He's encouraging this young man, men, to find their satisfaction within their wife. And it would go the same for women to find their satisfaction with their husband. You just don't go give yourself to people and live out of that woundedness just to find the temporary fix. There is a way in which sex was designed. And look at this beautiful picture. And then verse 20, he goes, Why be captivated, my son, by an immoral woman or fondled the breast of a promiscuous woman? Why do that? Oh, because they look good. She looks hot. The way women dress nowadays, especially the youth, these young girls who have no value, and then they think they're going to find value with a young man. And she'll spread her legs for whoever. She'll lay whoever in her bosom just to feel right. And the same thing, these young boys who have no concept of what it is to be a man because they haven't had a father to mature them and grow them up as a young, as a young man, they give themselves over and over to these young girls. And then you have a generation of people who have no understanding of how God designed it to be. 
And they're so broken and they're so lost and they've given so much of themselves. Because when you lay down sexually with someone, you are uniting with them. You're giving yourself. And the Bible's saying, why would you do that? Or because it feels good, or that's just what I do, because, you know, no. Like, no. Why be captivated, my son, by her and by that? For the Lord sees clearly, I'm sorry, the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. Look at this picture. The ropes that catch and hold him. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Oh, God has a lot to say about sex. He's warning us. Keep going your way. And again, the culture can try to redefine marriage, can redefine sex, they can keep trying, they can keep pushing it down our throats. But look at the outcome. An evil man is held captive by his own sins. They are ropes that catch and hold him. He will die for lack of self-control. He will be lost because of his great foolishness. Why go your way, you all? Especially if you're professing that you know Christ. Why keep going your way? No, as Christians, we're whole. We have to live now out of this purity that we find in Christ. And if you're out there and you've had sex before marriage, repent, turn from that way. Don't keep going that way. If you're burning with lust, get some self-control. For God's sakes, after I came to Christ, I wanted to know what it is to be pure. Because I started having sex when I was very young. When I was molested all the way through. With anyone and everyone who would just have me. And it consumed everything within me. But when you seek Christ for purity, because I remember telling him, God, I just want to be whole. I just want to know what it is to be pure. I don't want to look upon those things anymore that dishonor you. I don't want to keep laying down with whoever just to find uh, something when I'll never find it there. I will find it only in Christ. Only in Christ. I want to know how I was designed to please you. And what pleases God is abstinence. Withstanding from sexual relations until you're married. A man and a woman. That is how how he has designed it. And then the marriage bed should not be defiled. It should be a place of, of, of great comfort and joy. That married couples enjoy it because that's how Christ has designed it. This is beautiful, you all. I hope you've been encouraged today. 
give thought to what you've heard. Go back through the scriptures. Re-listen to this message. Grow, mature. There's work to be done. We're only a few people. But God can take a few of us and impact a generation. So let us believe that. Let us pray for each other. Friday nights. If you're not here on Friday nights, I'm posting those sermons. Listen to them. They're about revival. I'm praying for us to be revived, that we will be captivated by Christ, and that we will start living for Him. He would revive us. There's work to be done. So no matter what you're facing today or where you've been, no matter what sin you're so easily entangled in, throw it off today. If you're walking willfully in disobedience, stop and return to the Father. Be whole, be healed, and go forth empowering this generation and those that are around you with the truth of God's word. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close this with this last song. And I'll close this in prayer.
Thank you.